hello and welcome to Connected, episode 107. Today is September 8th. My name is Stephen Hackett and I'm joined this week by my co-host who uh, I think may just be in a bathtub full of espresso at this point, Federico Vitici. Hey, that's me. Um, hi, Stephen. Uh, I'm not in a bathtub full of espresso, but I feel like we're approaching that point quite quickly <laughs> by now. So yeah, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm I'm doing well, man. It's you know it's a busy week. We have an Apple event. We have a lot of stuff to get to. Mike is on an airplane to Portland. I'll be joining him tomorrow. We're both going to the XOXO conference. So if you are going to be at XO or you are just in Portland and you see us out and about, come say hey. We'd love to meet you. Um, it's a really fun weekend. We'll be there with a bunch of other relay people. And uh, so yeah, so I will see Mike tomorrow. He's not here today. Yeah. yeah, and I thought it was going to a sticker manufacturing plant in China. It's just going to XOXO. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, my idea was much better. Anyway, Mike, uh, we miss you. Come back soon. Don't die. Cheers. Come back soon. Yeah. So we are going to uh, skip follow up this week. As everyone knows, there was an Apple event yesterday. There was lots to talk about. So we will resume follow-up next week. And I thought we could sort of talk about the event itself, sort of like the meta comments on it, some of the pre-product stuff, Mm -hmm. and then kind of dive into the big news. Um, Right off the bat, opening skit, Tim Cook, (laughs) pretty great. Yeah. I mean, uh, there was an an opening skit based on Carpool Karaoke. And uh, it's well, it's very popular uh, web series that Apple, uh, if I'm not mistaken, acquired the rights for a new series exclusive on Apple Music. So they did this video with uh, with the host James. What the la- what's the last name? I don't remember. Uh, Corden. Uh, yeah, I think so. so. Chat room will know. Anyway, there was Kim- Tim Cook uh, with with James in a car driving, and then eventually Pharrell Williams joined them, and they were just chatting about the the Apple event, the iPhone, and and just singing uh, like sweet. Uh, Sweet Home Alabama, and I don't remember mm-hmm. the first song. It was very funny, especially if you know James and if you know Carpool Karaoke, like the style and the, you know, uh, what it's like. It, I, I thought it was very funny. I loved the guy, uh, and it was kind of cool to see, um, you know, Tim Cook in that kind of scenario. And even uh, I thought Apple did a good job by faking the fact that Tim Cook was getting out of the car and walking on stage. I thought that yeah. that editing was really well done. I like that he had the crazy sunglasses and yeah. then just like threw them. Uh, yes. <laughs> so so generally on keynote days, you know, I watched the keynote in real time. Yesterday I was in uh, the Six Colors talk show. We were kind of uh, discussing the news there. But then I at least skim the keynote that evening. You know, you always miss stuff and like, you know, we got to talk about it for a living. So I want to make sure that I have all my details straight. And most of the time, my wife will watch it with me. And last night, you know, I just sort of skimmed through and watched the big parts. But when this opening skit, like how it opened up, like she was on board. Like she loved it. She thought it was hilarious. And, you know, she's not one who really knows much about Tim Cook or his personality, but uh, she loved it. And, and she she thought it was really funny and really well done. So I, I give a thumbs up to this uh, this opening opening bit this time. We get some some news about Apple Music, uh, some App Store stuff. It's been a while since they've done a sort of state of the union as yeah. far as the business businesses. What is it? Seventeen million Apple Music subscribers, one hundred forty billion apps downloaded. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's year over year growth in downloads of like one hundred six percent, which is uh, pretty pretty wild. You have a link in here to Mac stories about all the different numbers that were yeah. thrown out. Is there anything else that popped out at you? 
Uh, well, when, um, I mean, we already know that Apple had sold over a billion iPhones, and Tim Cook sure liked to uh, underline that again. Uh, I'm not sure if it's new, but there's a, a half a million games on the App Store alone. And um, I think the, all the other numbers we already knew, uh, Apple also, when, when talking about the Apple Watch hardware, they made this joke about a thousand nits on the, on the new mm-hmm. Apple Watch. And uh, I just thought that was funny. But uh, in terms of business, uh, it seems like the most notable figure were uh, the Apple Music subscribers and the App Store downloads. And I feel like, especially when it comes to Apple Music, the company likes to... Uh, update people on this number to show the kind of growth that they're having compared to Spotify and other streaming right. services. So it's even if it's not a big number by any measure compared to what Apple does, you know, comparing like a billion iPhones and 17 million Apple Music subscribers, <laughs> yeah. it's not, it's like literally Apple's oranges, but it, I think they're doing this to show that they're coming after, you know, Spotify and Pandora and all these other guys. Right. I, I did like the, the joke about the thousand nits. I think Jeff Williams was like, that's a lot of nits. Yeah. There's actually a, a little bit of a um, a little bit of a tradition in Apple Keynotes. If there's a really technical term, sometimes the speaker will make a joke about it. My favorite example, I think it was the Power Mac G5. You know, Steve Jobs is talking about um, predictive branches in the processor. And he says, I don't know what it does. It predicts branches. I don't know. I'm told it's good. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of... I like those little sides. <laughs> yeah, that's very funny. How do you know that? Yeah. I don't know what it does. Predicts branches. Um, up next, we have uh, Connect Ed, which is like connected, but with a capital E and a capital D. This is a, a program that we heard a little bit about, I think, last year or, or maybe even earlier this year, where Apple and other technology companies, so it's, it's not just Apple, are partnering with the government uh, here in the United States to provide technology to underserved schools or budget or schools that don't have the budget for technology they may they may want or need. Uh, Apple is backing 114 schools this fall. Uh, that means it's like 4,500 teachers got a MacBook and an iPad. There's an Apple TV in every classroom, and they donated 50,000 iPads to students across these 114 schools. And I was super glad to see this have stage time. This is the sort of initiative that that makes me proud to be an Apple fan, that they are doing this. You know, there's nothing saying they have to do it. And again, Apple's not the only company that does it. But I think it's great that these companies that have such wealth and such um, such magnitude uh, are giving back. And and yes, they can always do more. I think they should do more. But it's a, it's a nice thing to see. And... You know, they had a picture of uh, the Apple II in a classroom with a bunch of kids. You know, and I guess in the in the uh, you know eighties, and you know, it really is a rich history. Apple like, very early on with the Apple II put them in classrooms around like Cupertino and San Jose, and you know you could look at that with the cynical viewpoint of well, they want kids to you know be loyal to their brand, and that may or may not be true. But Apple has a rich history in education, and it's good to see it continue to flourish even today when Apple is so much bigger than it's ever been. Yeah, that's a very awesome initiative. I was uh, watching yesterday. I was like nodding with my head because uh, it's uh, it's something that I really 
like we talk about, you know, and and I bring this up very often. We talk about technology from a geeky perspective, but this is like the stuff that really makes an impact to help students, to help kids, you know, study, uh, study in a better way, in a, in a new way. Uh, I I like that Apple, you know, does this often. They they give it a mini section during the keynotes where you know people come to you know to see the new iPhone and the new Apple Watch, uh, and and instead they they always mention either accessibility or education which is always great totally totally great um it's about this time in the keynote that the at apple twitter account which mm. has been doing some more things so they're doing is like these purchase tweets that only show up in your timeline if they reply to you with it it's not in their main timeline kind of weirdness they had a tweet um, about the iPhone 7 that you could pre-order now. I assume this tweet was to go out on Friday because it said pre-order now. But it leaked that it was water-resistant. It leaked the, the jet black image. And, I mean, <laughs> unprecedented. I mean, so let me sum this up. Uh, last uh, week, uh, the news got out that Apple was now using, quote-unquote, uh, Twitter that the account that had long been dormant on Twitter had become active with a new avatar and with a profile uh, thing going on, with a, with a verification badge. Uh, and Apple didn't tweet, and but people started seeing tweets from Apple. And as it turned out, uh, those tweets were promoted tweets that Apple had like a special integration with Twitter to let people sign up for news and... When the keynote was about to start, uh, the Apple account was replying to those uh, original uh, retweets. So it was like a promoted initiative that they did with Twitter. And it seemed like uh, alongside these uh, sign up for the keynote notifications, which were super super annoying, by the way, because before the keynote started, you, you could see this Apple account on Twitter just replying to everyone to say, hey, get ready for the keynote, it's about to start. Anyway, in addition to those ads, Apple also apparently prepared ads for the iPhone 7. Only problem was <laughs> they went live uh, two, or three, two or three variations of those ads way before the announcement. And there was even a video, uh, like a like a brief Twitter video showing the iPhone Seven uh, specifications, uh, details about the cameras. It was basically everything. Uh, the the Twitter ads spoiled the iPhone Seven announcement, and it was probably my impression. But a few minutes after this happened, and like Twitter exploded, and it was all over the blogs, nine to five Mac, and the Verge. Uh, when Tim Cook walked uh, out on stage again, he looked very upset to me. Yeah, I think I think someone told him, yeah. <laughs> and I, I tell you what, I would not want to be on the team responsible for that screw up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's in in the big picture of things, you know, it's no big deal uh, because you know the iPhone Seven is being announced anyway, and people are watching. But maybe you gotta wonder how many people saw the tweets and saw the news on the blogs and stopped watching. I don't know. Uh, it's just you know not a very well coordinated strategy. Yeah, and I mean, for the first time to use Twitter like this, um, I'm curious how it will color their future use, if it'll be something that we see more of, and maybe they change their policy, or maybe they think, hey, you know, this is too fraught with, with trouble. But but it has happened before, and, you know, historically it's been on Apple's own website, where, you know, a something, you know, some random accessory will show up, or some specs will change prematurely. 
it's it's happened before, but definitely not with the iPhone, not so, something so big. So kind of a weird uh, side story about uh, about the phone itself. Um, we'll get to it a little bit later. I think there's a lot of hand wringing around a line uh, that Phil Schiller said about <laughs> taking courage. Yeah, you know, the, uh, to to get rid of the headphone jack. I don't care for the wording, but you know, it it, it is what it is. Phil Schiller sometimes um, gets sort of weird, weirder lines in keynotes, yeah. and I think this is just one that didn't land the way they thought it would. Yeah, I mean, it's. Um, I, I have to wonder if all of these punchlines are decided in advance. I mean, they gotta be. But how is it possible that that no one can see their negative reactions? Maybe because. Uh, from a certain point of view, even a negative reaction is still a reaction and people talk about it. Uh, but in the case of the Courage line, as we'll see later, it's sort of become of a joke and meme already on mm-hmm. Twitter and everywhere else. So I don't know. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know what I think, honestly. I, I don't like the line. I don't like the, the choice of the word courage. I think it's very... It doesn't land quite well. I mean, I do get it. It does take courage, but it's just the... It sounds pompous and grandiose yeah. in a way that it's probably not appropriate for a headphone jack. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Um, there, you know, we knew a lot of stuff going into this keynote, but there, there were some surprises in the usual places. Um, you know, things like software, like the the iWork collaboration. You know, complete surprise. The software doesn't leak really the way hardware does because you know software doesn't get made in China and then put in a bunch of boxes, right? It's it's these things that aren't physical are much easier to keep quiet. Uh, new watch materials and bands were kept quiet. Some of the partnerships, release dates. Uh, you know, so even, even going into this thing, if you know, hey, the iPhone is going to look like this, it's going to have this, it's not going to have that, there's still always room for Apple to to drop a little bit of that surprise and delight into these events still. Yeah, I mean, we we knew almost everything when it comes to the iPhone 7 and even the watch. The surprises came from, really from other places. Um, I, I mean, I didn't I didn't see iWork coming, honestly. And, no. And you should have seen my reaction when Shigeru Miyamoto walked out on stage. Uh, because even, I mean, I've been, we've been discussing this, me and you and Mike, and also with Mike and Shahid on, on Remaster, the possibility eventually of Nintendo being on stage at an Apple event. We talked about it, and every time we reach the same conclusion, it's never going to happen, at least not in our lifetime. And because it just seems so not Nintendo-like to have its foremost Mm -hmm. figure uh, be on stage at the event of a different company to announce games for another platform that it's not Nintendo's. And to see that yesterday going on, it was like I had one belief of Nintendo before, and now it's different. Uh, I saw someone on Twitter, probably uh, Chris Kohler from Wired, uh, say that the seal has been broken. Uh, and in a way, that's true, because uh, we've always seen Nintendo as the company that doesn't make games for other platforms. And sure, uh, we saw this change before um, with, you know, Mitomo and to an extent with Nintendo subsidiaries like uh, Pokemon Go and other Pokemon Shuffle on iOS. But the Mario game is a different story. And it's it's a very big deal, I think. Yeah. Um Really, the the only uh, other surprise was, was iWork. So they are bringing... 
real-time collaboration to iWork in the apps themselves. So this this demo was crazy to me that they tried it, that they had a, a keynote deck and she opened it up and there, and all of a sudden a bunch of things are like flying around as people are editing the keynote document all at once. And, and it is very Apple to put this in the desktop apps first. There was no, well, there was only like a mention of iOS. Um, they also said like also on the web, like yeah, <laughs> a- Apple is just like for so many things are still like a desktop application first. And um, that is what it is. I think that's a little bit of an outdated way of thinking about it. Uh, I'm shocked that iWork made the stage. Um, of course, there were lots of take action jokes from loyal, uh, prompt, and connected listeners. <laughs> where we tried, uh, was it? What is it? Um, I work in the cloud or whatever it's called, and it went hellaciously wrong. So uh, we are going to try this at some point. We also need to try the shared notes uh, when I was ten and Sierra and everything come out. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I'm uh, ex- I'm glad that Apple's spending time on iWork. You know, it's not the flashiest product they have, but I think it's one that a lot of people rely on. And it's something that a lot of people use. I think especially keynote, um, use over office because it, it really is so much better than PowerPoint. So I'm glad they're still making investments in it. Uh, I've actually been spending a lot of time in keynote recently preparing for a talk and keynote's really good. <laughs> um, and so I'm, I'm glad they're, they're paying attention to it. And I'm, I'm curious to see and excited to see how this, real-time collaboration uh, works out in the real world. Yeah, I mean, I, you got to wonder when the uh, iWork for iOS suit is going to be updated. I'm going to guess next Tuesday uh, we're going to see an update. But that's the optimistic yeah. take, because if I'm not mistaken, the iWork apps for the iPad Pro were updated months later, if not at least a few weeks later, uh, you know, with the split view and the, with the full screen resolution on the iPad Pro. They were not ready at launch, I think. So... It's going to be interesting to see between this announcement and, you know, the rollout on the desktop and the web when the iOS versions get updated. Hopefully this time they will be ready, you know, with iOS 10. I'm not sure what other iOS 10 features um, iWork can take advantage of. You know, maybe notifications uh, if they do collaborations, I guess. Widgets, I don't know. Do you want to see your spreadsheet in a widget? Maybe. Not even me, and I like spreadsheets. (laughs) And you you like spreadsheets. Maybe Mike, but Mike doesn't use iWork, so... Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Cool. Uh, well, we're going to get into uh, the Mario game, but first we're going to take a quick break and talk about our first sponsor this week. This episode of Connected is brought to you by Squarespace, the simplest way for anyone to create a beautiful landing page, website, or online store. Start building your website today at squarespace.com and enter the offer code WORLD at checkout for 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace has lots of easy-to-use tools and templates, and it helps you capture every detail of what drives you, because if it's worth the effort, it's worth sharing with the world. Squarespace puts all the power that you need into your hands, and they take away all the pain points, so you don't have to worry about hosting or scaling or what to do if you get stuck with something. They have awesome 24-hour, 7-day-a-week support. They have teams in New York, Dublin, and Portland who are all there to help you, and these, you know, the stuff, it's great looking templates, it's easy to use tools. The professionally designed templates are responsive, so they look great on uh, an iMac or an iPad or an iPhone or anything in between. And it's all powered by state-of-the-art technology to ensure security and stability. 
Squarespace has a commerce platform that allows anyone to add a store to their Squarespace site. We use this for the RelayFM merchandise store, and it's absolutely great. I can go in and plug in products, prices, shipping information. It integrates with a bunch of different tools. I can check inventory all right within Squarespace. Um, they have a cover page. You can build a great-looking single-page website, and it's all backed by rock-solid, fast hosting. And if you want to stretch it even further, you can check out their dev platform. It lets you dig into the code and tinker with your Squarespace site to your heart's content. If you sign up for a year, you'll get a free domain name, allowing you to choose exactly what your site wants to be called. And Squarespace plans start at just $8 a month. You can start a trial today with no credit card required and start building a website by going to squarespace.com. When you do decide to sign up, make sure to use the offer code WORLD to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for Connected. We thank Squarespace for the support of this show and all of FM. So give me a, uh, a rundown on this Mario game, Federico. So it's basically uh, Nintendo's take on the Endless uh, Runner uh, category of games on iOS. Uh, it's a Mario game where Mario runs always from left to right, uh, and all you need to care about is jumping. So the game can be played uh, one-handed. That was one of the, of the you know, priorities of Nintendo and Shigeru Miyamoto to make a Mario game that you didn't need to play with two hands. You can tap it with your finger to make Mario jump. The longer you tap, the higher Mario jumps. You can uh, jump on enemies, collect coins, and the goal is to reach the uh, end of the level and to jump on the pole flag. Um, that's the gist. It's it's basically if you played uh, Rayman, you know, uh, on on iOS, any two D endless runner on iOS, uh, substitute that with Mario, and you got Super Mario Run. That said, uh, it looks fantastic, of course, because it's a Nintendo game. So I love the style. Uh, there's different modes. So there's the classic mode, which is the endless runner. There's the Toad Rally mode, in which you compete with friends. Uh, it's sort of like a time limit with multiplayer. And there's also okay. like a building mode where you can collect accessories and like uh, world elements to customize the Mushroom Kingdom of you know the world where Super Mario takes place. Um, the the most important part of this game is that there's no uh, so on stage Nintendo said there's not it's not a freemium game where you're constantly badgered to pay up uh, right. so people interpret that uh, as no enough purchases in the game but basically mm-hmm. if you look at the iTunes page because there's a pre-order page which I'll get to in a minute it says the Super Mario Run will feature in-app purchases so how do you reconcile that well the game will most likely be free with a single in-app purchase to unlock levels and you know uh, okay. all the content once so you've unlocked the in-app purchase once and you're paid you know you're good to go forever there's no gems no you know sacks of coins like in other games uh there's only <laughs> one in a purchase so it's basically like a free trial you download the game for free and then you unlock it once and you're you know you're good to go um i dig it yeah uh so about the app store listing uh the game is not out yet but apple is letting nintendo have sort of like a pre-order page let's say it's not really pre-order because it doesn't unlock the moment that it comes out but basically instead of having a download button you you can press on notify and when you press on notify you'll get a, a notification when the game launches in december um so it's a way to let high profile companies and i guess game developers uh have a listing on the app store with the app icon with the screenshots with the video description and everything but the 
actual app and to let people sign up for that and get a notification when it launches. I, I think it's a great idea and I hope it opens up to every developer, you know? I think it's fantastic to have a, you know, to have a place on the app store where developers can say, hey, go here, uh, sign up, you'll get a notification when it's out. I think it's great. It should be open to everyone. I mean, I, I totally agree. How many times do you deal with an embargo and then the, the app comes out early because of propagation or comes out late or it's very messy and, and to have something where you could say, you know, hey, alert me when this thing comes out and a developer could even treat that as an embargo, right? That a reporter, you know, Federico, when you see the the notify notification come through, you can publish your, your article. Like I think there's lots of interesting things around that little button and um I would love to see it roll out um across the store. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and the timing is also interesting from Nintendo's part. Uh, the company had previously said, we're going to do more mobile games uh, with iconic characters in addition to uh, in addition to Mitomo, which is, the, you know, the weird social network with the me avatars that they did. Yeah. Uh, and they said, we're going to do Fire <laughs> Emblem and Animal Crossing, which are two very popular uh, franchises in the in for Nintendo games. Uh, but they didn't say anything, at least that I remember, about Super Mario. So to have that announcement at an Apple event with Shigeru Miyamoto and Bill Trinan on stage, that really does resonate with Nintendo fans, with Apple fans. Um, and there's a Time interview, which I linked on Mac Stories, which you can find in the show notes of this episode, um, where... Uh, it, see, it sounds like, at least initially, the game will be exclusive to iOS, but maybe in the future Nintendo will launch it on more platform uh, platforms. So, you know, Android, basically. Um, but for now, it seems like it's an Apple deal. It's happening on the iPhone and iPad. I think it's universal. And it should be launching before the end of the year. Nintendo's going to do more games on the App Store. Uh, Fire Emblem and Animal Crossing next year. I think by March 2017. So maybe before the next Nintendo console launches. Also, another point. Nintendo doesn't have a new console for the holiday season. So if you I don't know if you follow Nintendo news Steven, but basically uh the the company doesn't Nintendo doesn't really have a lot of new titles for the Nintendo Wii U right. which is has always been struggling, but especially in the past year, basically no major game has come out. Uh, and on the on the 3DS, yeah. the, all, the the major games coming out are the new Pokemon games, Sun and Moon, they're launching in November. Uh, but they have no new console for the holiday season um, because they said we're going to launch the next console called name Nintendo NX by March 2017. Uh, so everybody's waiting for some kind of announcement, some kind of keynote or event from Nintendo. Uh, but a lot of people were saying, well, if Nintendo only has Pokemon uh, on the 3DS, how are they going to compete with other with the other companies in the holiday season without the new console, without you know games on the Wii U? Well, there's your answer. They're going to make a lot of money with iPhone and iPad games. And mm-hmm. it's no problem, really, because... They've been making some money with Pokemon Go, but they're going to make a lot of money with Super Mario Run on the App Store because, you know, everybody's going to check out Super Mario Run. And you and you can bet on... Oh, yeah. I would bet on Super Mario Run uh, taking the spot of the top-grossing app from Pokemon Go when it launches. I, I totally agree. It, it seems like... I mean, even somebody like me, who I grew up with Nintendo in the house, and I've got a Wii now, but definitely not... Super big into it, and and I hit that <laughs> notify button. <laughs> like I want, I want to play this game. Um, let let me ask you this. You know, in in this world where the Wii U 
has not really been a big success and their next-gen console is not here for the holidays. I agree that the iPhone is going to give them a huge revenue bump and, and enough to carry them. Do you see this expanding to something like the Apple TV where you have a controller and you're playing on a TV? Or is that too close to their console business? Do you think that they will will steer clear of the Apple TV as not to conflate their time so what on the what they television? said um, to time, I think, in the interview is we realized uh, with Pokemon Go, a lot of people are discovering the game and then signing up or buying the existing Pokemon games on our consoles uh, because apparently they saw a huge influx of people purchasing the original Pokemon Blue and Red after playing Pokemon Go on the iPhone and Android. So I don't think it's too crazy at this point to see Nintendo develop two branches of their own games. One for mobile devices and even Apple TV uh, with a, let's say, lightweight experience. So don't expect to see the new Zelda or the new Metroid or a real Super Mario game on iOS or TVOS. But I would, I would, uh, I don't think it's too crazy to see Nintendo doing um, games to introduce you to Nintendo franchises on other platforms so you can then convert to a paying Nintendo customer on their dedicated consoles. Even if that means, you know, tvOS, as long as it's not the real Super Mario experience that you get on the Nintendo NX or, you know, whatever it's called, I think as, a, as an appetizer of Nintendo games, it makes sense, you know? So you, you try it here on iOS or tvOS, you have fun, you give us money, which we like, but then if you want to pay, if you want to play the, the real, the full game with, you know, all the innovations that Nintendo does, you gotta buy the console. So it's sort of like they're treating iOS as a trial platform. You get the trial on iOS and then you pay up and get the full game on Nintendo platforms. It's not too crazy. They should have done this a long time ago. Yeah, and that's really the the question as someone who, again, just knows Nintendo from afar, of like, this seems like such an obvious answer to so many problems, right? You have cash flow, you have people who, you know, like, I'm not going to buy the next-gen Nintendo console. Like, I've got no reason to spend money with that company, but I will download and play this Mario game. And, you know, other casual games are something that I am interested in because I do love many much of their IP from, you know, when I was a kid, just like everyone else in their 30s, right? Like, um, I think Mario is pretty universally loved by a lot of people uh, my age and older. And the the thing that really just boggles the mind is that, like, this seems so clear. Why haven't they done it? And, and I'm glad they're doing it. I think that having this special relationship with Apple is probably something that was key to it on their side. Um, that they want, they don't just want to be another app in the app store, that they want to be special and i think that they that they've earned that right and for me you know seeing nintendo on stage and having this demo and was totally great and like and I, i'm usually one like last night when i rewatched the keynote skimming through the game demos because i just i just don't care like i'm sorry i'm sure you're nice i'm sure your, your game is great i just don't care um but but this felt really different and it feels like something that apple and nintendo both have a lot to gain from and so i'm 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 in favor of it i think it's great and I'm really excited to play this when it comes out, which is not something I yeah, say very this often. This is very surprising coming from you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that was Nintendo. Uh, I would say that um, no one expected Mario nope. to be on stage. 
uh, an album at this year. I was like, <laughs> Sylvia took a picture of me uh, during my reaction. I was like, with my hands covering my mm-hmm. face, I was like, what is, it, what is going on here? Am I really... I think we're going to I mean, need I, that for the show. You got to understand, um, I grew up with Shigeru Miyamoto as like my... It's like a legend to me. Uh, I was right. 10 and I was writing books about Shigeru Miyamoto. Just not even, not just books. I was just typing things on the computer. I was obsessed with the, with the, with the genius of this man. And so to see, and you know, growing up, of course, video games remain such a huge important part of my life. And so to see this man and this company on stage uh for an event of the company that I read about for a living, it was like one of those crossovers, you know, like Superman and Batman, only good, you know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Subtle. <laughs> I like what you said. Uh so we're gonna get into the uh the Apple Watch, but first I want to tell you about about Ring. Uh Ring is a connected smart video doorbell. With Ring, you can see and talk to anyone at your door from anywhere in the world using your smartphone. Protect your home and your loved ones today. Go to ring.com slash connected for a limited time to get $150 off their Ring of Security kit. Listen, there's a home burglary every 13 seconds. Most happen in broad daylight. Burglars will ring your doorbell to make sure you're away before breaking in. It's kind of weird and nasty to talk about, but it's something that you should consider. The Ring video doorbell has been proven to stop these robberies before they happen by allowing you to see and speak to anyone approaching your door using your smartphone. And now, Ring is using their advanced motion technology to protect your entire property with the Ring of Security kit. The kit includes the Ring video doorbell for the front door, the Ring stick-up cam, which is a wireless weatherproof HD camera to keep an eye on other parts of your property. The Ring video doorbell and stick-up cam just take just minutes to install, and they work together, providing 24-7 monitoring of your entire home, whether you're in the living room or thousands of miles away. And this stuff is, you know, you think about home security system, you think it's something that's, that's poorly made, difficult to use, complicated to install. Ring looks great. It's nicely built. It's easy to install. It's easy to manage. Uh, the app is all just on your phone, so you're not having some crazy like PC software to go deal with, like some of the stuff. It's just on your phone that you already always have with you, so you're always connected to what's going on at home. Join the hundreds of thousands who protect their home with Ring. For a limited time, listeners of this show can save up to $150 off the Ring of Security Kit. This is the lowest price anywhere, so go to ring.com slash connected right now. Thank you so much to Ring for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. So, as expected, mm. we saw um, Apple yeah. Watch Two, which they're now calling Series Two. Um, we can get into the name. There's actually a lot of naming changes. Um, but Apple opened this up again. We see Watch OS Three again. Um, they say it's the best smelling, <laughs> the best smelling. <laughs> it's the best smelling watch. <laughs> the best selling selling smart watch. Um, it's got the highest customer satisfaction, which something Tim Cook loves to say about anything he can. Um, and we saw Pokemon mm-hmm. Go yeah. on the watch, which um, at first I didn't really understand. I listened to Upgrade uh, this morning, and they, they spoke a little bit more about it, where 
you can now do things in Pokemon Go yeah. just on the watch that, you know, before yeah. you had to have your phone open. Yeah, seems, you can see Pokemon nearby. You can uh, get notifications for Pokestops. You just cannot catch Pokemon on your watch. You got to pull at your phone, which makes sense because you use the watch as a sort of, a, let's say, notification hub for Pokemon stuff going on around you. And by the way, this is amazing that all of this is fictional, but we're treating Pokemon Go as if there were real Pokemon around you. Um but yes, you gotta pull out your phone for more complex actions. Um, I think it's awesome. I think it's gonna be probably the most popular app on the on the Apple Watch. I don't want to say it's going to be a reason for people mm-hmm. to buy an Apple Watch, but it's definitely going to be the most popular app on the uh, Watch App Store. And it's not shipping now, yeah. right? It's later this fall. Do you think? Um, I mean, we, we've even spoken about it on Connected some that maybe Pokemon Go has already hit its peak. Do you think this will be a second peak of people? Um, rediscovering it or do you think that it will kind of be by the time it's out the you know the spotlight's already kind of moved on and people I think Nintendo and Niantic are being really smart with uh, generating buzz on every update uh, so to keep people talking about the game talking about what's new uh, and, and I definitely think the Apple Watch uh, doesn't have a small uh, install base and I would argue that you know people who of course, people have an iPhone, have an Apple Watch, and people are really into, you know, Pokemon Go on the iPhone. Maybe are also very loyal iPhone users, and you know, they have an Apple Watch. I think it's gonna, I think it's gonna be popular. Sure. I think it's gonna be, I think it's gonna be definitely the most popular Apple Watch app. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you know Niantic and Nintendo continue to do updates and maybe add new generations of Pokemon uh, to the game. To you know, especially with Pokemon Sun and Moon coming out, it's a perfect. Uh, you know, PR wave of things happening in the Nintendo and Pokemon worlds. Uh, so I, I, I don't see uh, Pokemon Go dying out as a, as a, you know, as a uh, fad just yet. I think it's got, it's got legs on it, as they say. <laughs> um, so let's get into the, the watch a little bit itself. The current watch, the one that you and I are both wearing right now, that everyone is wearing right now, has been... Uh, mm-hmm. updated is now called the watch series yeah. one. So not to be confused with just the regular old Apple watch. It is a new dual core CPU. It is not the, the S two chipset that's in the new watch. So it does not have GPS. Um, it does mm-hmm. not have the waterproofing, but it is a, is an updated Apple watch as we know it. And the, the prices start at two sixty nine. So, you know, it, it, the, we were at like two forty nine, three forty nine. Now we're, 269 369 so up a little bit in price but you know i think for someone who doesn't necessarily care about the waterproofing or the gps um i think it's a great a great option um i spoke uh recently on the show about my wife wanting an apple watch and kind of deciding what to do and we waited and so last night during this part of the keynote you know she was like well the, the series one is fine like she doesn't care about the gps the waterproofing is not a big deal to her um uh, you know, I told you, like the water resistance on the first watch is great, and um, uh, you know you're not supposed to swim in it, but people do. I've definitely gotten it wet; it's totally fine. And so the watch series one, I think, is going to be a nice um, entry level watch, and the dual core system on a chip will allow it to to be even faster than this one with Watch OS three, which will be good, right? I was a little afraid, uh, honestly, that they were not going to rev the CPU and that we this old slower watch was going to stick around a long time and kind of hold the platform back. But it seems like they were aware of that and are 
making adjustments. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a little tricky, I guess, to explain to people that the watch they already have is not the Series 1. The Series 1 is the old one, but kind of also new. Uh, it's a, It reminds me of a new iPad 3 scenario, like the new the new iPad right. and then the new, new iPad. You know, it's kind of... Apple sometimes, <laughs> actually quite often, they do confusing uh, naming things just because the lineup is so mm-hmm. huge now and so many different devices. There's no... Probably there's no perfect way to indicate what a device really is in terms of marketing to have a precise right. naming scheme, especially when you also do this kind of, you know, same eye updates where you take an old model and then you stuff a new chip in it and also don't update anything else on it. So it's kind of old, but also kind of new. It's like a Schrodinger's Apple Watch. Mm-hmm. It's, it's Unless you open <laughs> it up, it's really both old and new. Uh, but I, I yeah. mean, I, I do think it makes sense. Um, it's like a it's like a generation one point five. Yeah. Like it's a step in between. Um, I I was honestly hoping they would be able to bring the price further down to compete with the high end Fitbits. You know, two sixty nine is still pretty pretty good for the the smaller one, but I, I would like to see that price come down over time. But between the price coming down and them revving the CPU, I choose the CPU because this this current watch, even on Watch OS three beta, um, can can be sluggish, and I think that it it could potentially be a situation like the A5 chipset was in the iPads for and the, the iPhones for such a long time. The developers were stuck with the A5 way longer than they should be, and, and I think it held certain types of applications back. And and now I think maybe they've learned from that mistake a little bit and are saying, hey, you know, the watch, we need to keep iterating, and if that if that comes at a cost, then they're willing to deal with that for now at least. Yeah, I mean, uh, having, having the Apple Watch um, at a lower price point, uh, allows more people to check it out. But also I appreciate the decision that with more people, Apple also wants them to uh, have a better experience with apps, especially with WatchOS 3. So it was easier to say, look, we're going to keep the original Apple Watch around. Um, but I feel like having the lower price point, but also an update to the chipset uh, ensures that the original Apple Watch doesn't put the ecosystem in, you know, in danger of... Having slow apps, apps that crash, uh, performance isn't good. Mm-hmm. So it's a typical Apple way of doing things. We're going to do the lower price point just low enough so we can also have a new chip in it so the apps are better, so that the perception of people, even those who don't get the Series 2, is a good perception of the Apple Watch app ecosystem. So then we can move away from the original criticism of the first Apple Watch. The apps are slow, the apps crash. It's unusable. Uh, I think it's a good move. I think so too. Um, Series 1 is only available, best I can tell, in the aluminum finishes. So the there's no stainless steel anymore of the Series 1. It's just the what was called the, the sport watch. Um, but it's a bunch of different options. You know, you got the gold, the rose gold, the the regular aluminum, and then the dark aluminum. So still plenty of options if you want to... Um, uh, to purchase a series one and i would really say if, if someone's looking to check out the watch for the first time this is a fine fine place to start i don't think there's any need unless you really want the gps and the waterproofing to to jump to the series two at this point i think they've made a really compelling entry-level model for once um, so the series two is the the new watch uh, we already spoke a little bit about this the s2 system on a chip so this little waterproof mm. computer biscuit <laughs> thing that has all the guts in it um, 
the 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 waterproofing is is what they're calling swim proof. Um, there were two things that really jumped out at me during this part of the keynote. One, they built a robot to basically mimic like years yeah. worth of swimming use, and and a like I just love any sort of like industrial testing because I don't, I don't know something about that makes my brain happy. But two, the fact that Jeff Williams is like we tested for years of use. I th- that that little phrase, and maybe I'm reading a lot into it, but I think Apple does think about the Apple Watch as a multi-year product. And you know, there was—I mean, there was so much debate when it first came out of how long the cycle was going to be, and is it something that people are going to update every year? And I think Apple is is fine with people, d- d- you know, skipping generations on this thing and testing for years of use is something that I'm glad they're doing because, because honestly, I think a lot of people will buy a watch and wear it for three or four years before thinking about updating it. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on, on that sort of life cycle? Uh, I've been thinking about this, right? Uh, I don't know. I still don't know if the Apple Watch is something that we should have, like a new model annually or every couple of years because it's you know it's not like a phone. Uh, and it's also much harder to... Mm-hmm to you know to make the components the components smaller and to make them fit inside the watch um i'm honestly like i've been i've been looking at the at the series too and it's a fine upgrade i think it's stuff that i was expecting it also doesn't really relate to me because i'm not a runner i'm not a swimmer um it's fine i'm I'm gonna get one because I want the best watch that I can have and because I feel like the, the performance is going to make me like the Apple Watch more because I, I want to like it and I want to use it. It's just it doesn't, uh, doesn't make me as excited as the iPhone 7 or, you know, the iPad Pro. It's just, it's fine. I, keep, I was talking with the MacStories team about this in, in our Slack. It's a fine update. that doesn't make me want to pull my hair out. That's all. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So it's got GPS as well for running. Uh, the all of this is packed in basically the same case. It's actually one millimeter mm-hmm. thicker, but I mean, I don't think anyone is going to be able to eyeball that. Same, um, basically the same battery life rating. Although there's also uh, there's a little conflicting information about this. On one of the specs pages, it shows better uh, workout battery life, but I think it's kind of the same overall battery life, but. I would say the safe bet today is same battery life or better, mm-hmm. which I think is fair. Um, they're doing some interesting stuff with the branding. So before you had the Apple Watch Sport, which was aluminum, you had the Apple Watch, which was stainless steel, and then you had Apple Watch Edition, which was gold and all sorts of craziness. This time around, they are kind of blurring those lines a bit, a little bit. So it's now like the Apple Watch Aluminum Series 2 as opposed to the Apple Watch Sport. And I think that is... um. I think that's clear, actually, that you are just basically saying what generation of watch and your finish, and that the finish doesn't break the watches out mm-hmm. into different families. And Apple did this because it mimics what happens in the quote-unquote real watch market, best I understand. But I think it's a clearer way to consumers that you don't have to think about what family yeah. it's in. You just say, you know, I'm looking for the Series 2 aluminum or Series 2 stainless steel. Yeah, I feel like it's maybe it's easier to get people to choose based on material rather than name. Like, right. what does sport mean? Does it mean that I have to do sports? Can I buy one even even if I don't do sports? So maybe Apple has found out that to explain people the materials is better than to explain a marketing term, which I think for a watch, for something that you wear, makes more sense than having to learn a whole terminology, you know, uh, sport edition or, you know, 
what's right. your name is Apple Watch Steel. I think it's easier to just say one or two, and then which material do you want? Which bands to go with it? I think it's easier. I think so too. Um, there are a couple of other variations. We have a Nike Plus mm-hmm. variation, mm-hmm. which is a aluminum watch with some crazy looking sport bands. Also, they also ship with a custom or a couple of custom, I think, Nike Plus yeah. watch faces. Yeah. But the app and everything behind all that seems to be the best we can tell universal. So I could I could download the Nike Plus running app on a regular Apple Watch if I don't want the custom face and the crazy, in my opinion, not very good looking watch bands. And then we also have the Hermes, right? So the which is an existing yep. partnership. There's some new colors of those bands. Again, exclusive faces. Mm-hmm. But um, I know it's, it's it's the Nike one in particular seems really obvious. You know, Tim Cook's on the board. Apple and Nike have always had a really close relationship, and for for years and years they've shipped products together. Mm-hmm. They had the Nike uh, Plus running kit for the iPod, where you put a little puck in your shoe and it talked to your iPod Nano, like all all sorts of crazy stuff. And so this seems like a really natural like next step in that partnership to me yeah no more nike fuel band also yeah so, oh know. yeah i forgot yeah they discontinued yeah. it didn't yeah they? remember that existed <laughs> uh oh, yeah, so, i owned one yeah yeah i mean i think it i think an apple watch uh in the you know uh, at a nike store will make for a perfect showcase uh i don't like it i think it looks ugly I also think it's perfect for runners. Those things are not, you know, mutually exclusive. I think it makes total sense to have the kind of design, the kind of watch face. And when you think about it, I think it opens up a lot of opportunities for uh, more, not just branded Apple watches, because we saw that with the Hermes, uh, Mm -hmm. but also for branded and functional Apple watches. Um, You know, there's all kinds of different applications that Apple could go with. Imagine them, you know, Apple teaming up with, I don't know, some company that specializes in, in, in heart rate monitoring. So they do a whole Apple Watch just for that. Or, you know, there's other sport brands for other types of, you know, activity. Imagine a watch for cycling, for example. Uh, I think it makes sense to slowly but surely to do this kind of collaborations and to, to have a family of Apple Watch products that... The baseline is always the same, but you can get different customizations, different designs, and different functions, not just looks based on what you need to do with it. I, you know, as, as a, especially now that, that it, I mean, it's been two years, but Apple is still kind of figuring out what the Apple Watch is, what the Apple Watch does, and trying to position it in a few different ways. I think to sort of do these kind of collaborations makes sense to kind of see where, you know, where it can go. Yeah, I think so. I, my guess is there's going to be more of these in the future. Mm-hmm. And um, the, you know, maybe the Hermes one was sort of the, the testing ground that it would work, that there'd be a market for it. But I think the Nike Plus one will, will be uh, very popular in, in sort of that segment of the uh, population. Yeah, you know, they're going to do the Nintendo Apple Watch at some point. <laughs> the uh, there, is an, there is the addition. It, it stays around... The gold and all that stuff are, are, are gone. There's no longer a seventeen thousand dollar Apple Watch. The new one starts at twelve forty nine, and it is made out of white ceramic. And mm. my word, do I want this watch? <laughs> I'm not going to buy it. That's an obscene amount of money to spend. But this thing, to my eye, looks gorgeous. It's white. It's harder than steel. It is glossy. It is 
I just think really, really nice. Yeah, I saw a lot of people seem to like the ceramic design. Uh, it just looks white to me. I like I maybe touching it will be better. I just don't get it right now. Like it looks like white plastic. Oh man. I don't know. I never I never had a ceramic watch. So, you know, me I, neither. <laughs> I don't know I don't know what it feels like, but it's just white. I think, you know, my personal preference, I do appreciate the shiny steel personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It- in the the addition makes me think why haven't we seen a like a hardened plastic watch i mean the aluminum is really light would plastic even be lighter you could do lots of fun colors um you know uh, maybe at some point we'll see that some sort of like really fun bright spunky apple watches but for now i think the the white ceramic is sort of as far out there as you can get but um so i guess the question i guess the question is what are your plans so my plans are to, let's say, to get a Series 2 steel with the usual watch bands. I don't want to go crazy with the, you know, these Hermes ones. They're also quite expensive. I Yeah, I mean, I'm going to get one. Like I, like I said, I'm going to get one because it's faster, because it's better. Um, but I think I'm going to keep it pretty standard, you know, just keep my existing bands uh probably get a steel one eventually but uh, because i i still don't have don't have a steel band uh but yeah that's what i'm gonna do not gonna get the addition that's what i wanted to ask you steven do you think the addition line is a way to keep johnny happy and play with new materials like his personal playground uh, mm, i could see a world where that's true you know the the ceramic is a one off at this point they're they're not using it anywhere else it seems like a very johnny ive design right like shiny and white are kind of his his uh home <laughs> base so yeah, i mean i mean maybe and you know I, I don't really buy into the idea that like apple does or like johnny ive is doing crazy stuff just to keep him from getting bored and to keep him engaged like if johnny ive didn't want to be there he wouldn't be there he can go anywhere he's got enough money he could buy an island um but I do think that this sort of special project does come from him, that, that he does get to work on these things and, and probably enjoys them. So, yeah, I think I think to a degree that's probably true. Or maybe, you know, uh, ceramic is, I think they said it's harder than steel. So maybe it's also a way to experiment with the material now on the Apple Watch for, you know, a line that is quite expensive. Not, if, not a lot of people will, will buy it, but maybe eventually there's going to be an iPhone made of ceramic. Yeah, I don't know. yeah, I saw some some tweets go about that. I mean, there's no there's no telling, right? And and Apple, they they're very good about reusing stuff. So that you know they brought things like the rose gold aluminum to the phone, and then it came up, showed up on the watch, and and even the MacBook. Like they they reuse materials and technologies across multiple products. And so I think if the ceramic behaves well and people like it, that we could definitely see more of it. So I don't know what my plans are. I mean, I've got the stainless steel now. I like the stainless steel. It is a bit heavy, um, but I like the way it looks. Honestly, I'm not, because I'm not wearing my watch every day, and I'm not super in love with it for now. I think I'm going to stay put. Uh, Like I said, I'm going to buy a Series 1 sport, aluminum, not sport named, uh, watch for, for my wife, but... For now, I think I'm going to stay put. I think if I were to go purchase something, I would probably do the Aluminum uh, Series 2. As much as I like the stainless steel, it is more money for something I'm not using every day. And it is heavy. Um, but, you know, at this point, WatchOS 3 is 
pretty good on the you know the first gen watch. I have no doubt the new ones will be noticeably faster, but it, I don't. I guess can't really justify it at this point for something that I'm not using every day. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to get to the main event uh, of the iPhone Seven, but first, we want to thank our, our last sponsor, which is Mac Weldon. Uh, Mac Weldon is uh, a company that makes great, great clothing items. It's better than whatever you're wearing right now. They believe in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. So I was able to go and I ordered a couple shirts, a couple pairs of underwear, and their website is great. It's easy to use. Um, They have a a really great thing in their checkout where if you add multiple items, you get this like savings bar at the top of the screen. So if you you have two shirts and you go to four, you get more money off each one, uh, which is really great. You can see it all right there. Um, and their products are simply great. You know, I'm, I'm an undershirt guy. Not everyone is. I am. And they're comfortable. They look great. They feel great. I'm a huge fan. The other cheap undershirts I have, I, I don't even like anymore. I, I leave them at the bottom and uh, of the drawer and only wear them when I have to, when all my Mac Wellness stuff is dirty. They make comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants. They also have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, so they they eliminate odor, cool science in your pants, which you need to remember. Mac Weldon truly wants you to be comfortable. If you don't like your first pair, you can keep it, and they will still refund you, no questions asked, which is super great. Um, And not only do they make underwear and socks and shirts that look good, they perform great as well. They're good for working out, going to work, going out on dates, or just everyday use. Listeners of this show can get 20% off at MacWeldon.com with the code CONNECTED. Thank you so much to MacWeldon for support this show and all of Relay FM. iPhone 7. So what do you think? Give me, give me your, your summary. Uh, what, what, what's your impression here? My impression that even though it is a design that is familiar, mm-hmm. right, it is the 6 and 6S, that there's so much stuff packed in here technology-wise that I kind of don't even care that it's the same mm. that it's the same design that it th- I don't and I don't even particularly love the design of the six success. I'm with Marco that it's slippery like a little round bar of soap, but I'm excited about the tech they've packed in it from the audio to the cameras and everything in between. Um, it feels it's much more than just an S phone, and no. I, I think overall I'm I'm excited to to pre order. Yeah, so let's see what's new. Uh, we got. Uh, new colors, so the space gray yes. is gone. There's two shades of black here. Uh, there's mm-hmm. the the jet black, which is the glossy one, and there's the super shiny, super shiny black, and there's the what's it called? Just black. <laughs> it's just called black, but it's a matte finish. Yeah, and uh, the jet black option is not available on the 32 gigabyte version, which, by the way, it's the new base model. So, uh, you know, the 16 gigabyte is officially dead, like really dead, dead. Thank uh, goodness. Unless you, unless you buy an SE. Unless, <laughs> Still there. <laughs> yes. Um, and the Jet Black is only on the uh, 128 gigs and uh, 256 mm-hmm. gigs, uh, which, you know, the, the mid-range option. So it's double the storage which is the one that I'm going to get, uh, whereas you can get the black, the normal black on 32 gigs as well. Um, they are, I mean, the colors, they look fantastic, I think, and 
the jet black especially, Apple seems to devote a lot of attention to it because it's the one they that do. really looks different. Um, you know, because even the black, uh, the, the 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 matte black one, it looks kind of like a darker success whereas the right. jet black it's metal but it's shiny and it's glossy and apple did a whole video to show the procedure like the whole system where they treat this uh, material the material to be glossy and shiny uh which is a johnny Ive narrated video which are the very first video that they showed for the iphone 7 yeah which is weird, right? Because it shows off the dual camera and like and shows off there's no headphone jack and then yeah. they explain everything you just saw. Sort of weird uh, a weird direction there. But the jet black is intriguing to me. So from the hands on videos I've seen, there are a bunch of them on YouTube. Um it looks like so if your iPhone six or success is off, that's kinda of how the whole thing looks. So it's very reflective, very shiny. And and part of me is tempted by it because it's so different. Like you said, the the regular black is sort of like a darker space gray. And while this thing is like something we haven't seen really since like the 3G or 3GS days of that shiny black. So I am tempted by it, but all the hands-on reports say that it's like a fingerprint magnet. There's actually a, a disclaimer on Apple's website that it's going to show abrasions and micros, yeah. like scratches and stuff, which, I mean, I understand it's glossy. Um, and even then, I'm still a little tempted by it because I think that it may wear nicely, but... Um, if it was the only black option, it's what I would do. I but that, that that matte black looks really good to me. I don't know if the if the jet black is it's gonna wear nicely. I mean, do you remember the three GS by the end of you know the, <laughs> the year? It was all scratched. At least mine was all scratched up, and it was like really ugly to look at. And I feel like the same is gonna happen with the with the jet black, even if it's not plastic. Um, I don't know. It, it, here's my problem. Uh, it looks fantastic. I want to get the jet black, but also I don't want scratches, and I don't want it to look like the 3GS used to look when I when I moved to the iPhone 4. Um, mm-hmm. And also, if I'm going to put my iPhone in a case, uh, does it really warrant the having a jet black? I mean, maybe right. yes, because sometimes you can get it out of the case and just use it, you know, naked. Uh, so yeah. you can you can appreciate the the, the shiny, uh, you know, design. I think I'm going to get the jet black just because it's new and just because, you know, I, I have a, I, I've been using a white iPhone for two years straight. I want to go back to yeah. black iPhone. Just go all the way in the other so direction. So <laughs> let's just go all the way to the other side at this point. Yeah, and there's something to be said for that, right? I used to alternate between white and black, so it felt new, which is, you know, sort of ridiculous. But um, I think the... Um, I think they both look nice. You know, the the white silver, the gold, and the rose gold are still around. They all have the white glass on the front. Um, but I think I think Apple's really pushing that jet black. And is this something you know that we could see elsewhere? Is this is this um, new regular black? Are we going to see this on iPads and on the MacBook in the future? You know, it's, it, I I think absolutely. I think that the days of like space gray actually being like four different colors um, are probably coming to an end, and we'll see. I think we'll see some unification around these new colors. And you know, they opened with this, right? This is the first thing out of Fisher's mouth. It's like, we have a new design that starts with this new finish. And I think that they, they're pushing it so hard because it does look so different than the previous phones, right? That, that in Jet Black, it's kind of hard to tell the details of the case. And it looks so unusual compared to where we've been that they're they're sort of... I don't want to say they're hiding the fact that it's the same design because I don't think they're doing that, but it does mask it a little bit. It does deflect 
attention away from the case and and to the finish itself. So what else? Uh, we have we have the home button with yep. haptic feedback. That's a, um, that's a new thing that people are freaking out uh, mm-hmm. about the home button. Uh, so as we knew from the rumors, uh, Apple got rid of mechanical parts. So it's no more a mechanical button. It's a it's like the touchpad of the the trackpad of the MacBook. It's based on force touch, so it gives you the illusion of clicking, while in fact there's a Apple's uh, taptic engine inside that gives you uh, haptic feedback. So the problem here, at least right now, is that a lot of people who tried it are, <laughs> as you would expect from a new iPhone, uh, in two separate camps. The Verge says that the uh, the clicking sensation the haptic feedback is awful that it doesn't feel like a like a click at all that it's worse than clicking the macbook's trackpad with first touch they don't like it and it feels like uh in the article they said it feels like uh, a kick in the lower part of the iphone like the entire iphone i saw other people on twitter uh matthew panzarino Rene ricci who were at the keynote and on the hands-on demo area where they said it's different doesn't exactly feel like a click, but once you get used to it, we think it's going to be awesome. So here's where we stand right now. My, uh, Based on what I'm reading here, doesn't feel like a click, but you get used to it because it's a different thing. It feels like Apple is moving to making the home button part of the screen. Maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but you got to know eventually it's going to be part of the, you know, there's not going to be a bezel separating the screen. It's going to be all screen with a home button inside. That's the plan. And moving away from the mechanical part and integrating the Taptic Engine and giving developers an API to program the the, the Taptic Engine to do stuff for apps... It's like rethinking the the role of the home button, rethinking what you can feel in apps. Um, it's a it's becoming a whole thing, you know, the screen and the app and the button and the engine. It's becoming a single layer in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the feedback mechanism of the the Taptic Engine, you know, is I can see why people feel what they're feeling, and I haven't obviously gotten to try it, so take it all with a grain of salt, but with the force touch trackpad and even the watch, the, the area that is the button and the area that is the taptic engine are, you know, the same size or the same width. So if you, if you push down the trackpad on my MacBook pro, it feels like it clicks because the sensation is coming from underneath your finger and the home button. If you know, even they, they even in the keynote had these little like, you know, tear away photos, the taptic motor is still, wider you know it's wider than the button it's not localized just behind the button so it makes sense that you would feel it and it would feel as if it were coming from an area in the phone that's not directly behind the button which could lead to the sensation right that yeah the whole phone is vibrating or kicking or it's not localized to my thumb and so it feels it feels unusual i fully expect this will be something that's really weird for the first week and then we'll never talk about it again that we will just get used to it and even on my MacBook Pro, which has the Force Touch trackpad, I wasn't crazy in love with it at the beginning, but now I kind of even forget that it's there because yeah. it just works and it um, it feels like a button and, and that's fine. So I see where people are coming from. I, I see why like why that feeling could exist, the way that it's put together. But I think that long term, this is not going to haunt the new home button. Yeah, you know, I've been, I've been 
I've been using Sylvia's new MacBook Pro. She has a uh, a MacBook with a Force Touch trackpad, mm-hmm. and it it's just it's all right. You know, it feels like a button. It feels like clicking. I don't get people who are like, "Oh my god, I hate the Force Touch." It's ter- no, it's not terrible. You know, it's fine. It feels like a click to me. Yeah. Um, and I get used to it. And I can imagine, you know, the Apple says it's it's a customizable home button, and yes. by that they mean. Um, I saw a few pictures. There's a new customization screen, probably yet another screen in the setup process of <laughs> iOS. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I, I have a section about this in my in my review. Um, there's yet another customization screen where you can choose from three types of uh, clicking sensations. Um, the default one is the one that they said feels like a kick in the in the lower end um, of the of the bezel, basically. Um, but the potential for you know. User customization, if you think about it, uh, accessibility, you know, options, uh, people who have, you know, all kinds of impairments or disabilities to be able to customize the, the physical sensation with feedback is pretty great. You know, you're not constrained by mechanical parts. You can use software to change the feeling of pressing the button, which is pretty great. And also, you know, developers uh, doesn't relate to the home button, but the same engine can be used by apps. So when you're using an app, you do something. If you go read the updated uh, human interface guidelines, which I skimmed last night, Apple is saying if you're, for example, you can program the Taptic Engine API to give users uh, the sensation of a thud when, for example, two views collide and touch each other, uh, or you can have like a, 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 a success feel. So you can not just hear or see the interface, you can also feel it on your phone, which is pretty great because Apple sort of did this with first touch on macOS, but there's a whole, you know, it's much bigger potential on iOS because it's something that you're constantly touching on the screen. And it's just the beginning, like the API is really limited right now. And Mm -hmm. again, the home button is clearly separated from the screen. Uh, But I feel like the you know i would want to have a venn diagram of people who complain about the headphone jack and people who complain about force touch you're gonna see right in the middle there's the people who don't like either uh and i feel like it's because tech nerds love cables and they love mechanical parts so whenever (laughs) software is involved and whenever wireless is involved they go crazy right yeah one thing I'm looking forward to to back up to the customization is the ability. Seems like one of the hands-on showed the screen even to set the amount of pressure to register the click. And so on my MacBook Pro, I have it as light as possible. You can do this now with um, 3D slash Force Touch, whatever it's called on the iPhone 3D Touch. So the amount of pressure it takes to push down on the screen to trigger that action, you can set to light, medium, or heavy, I guess. And I have all those set to the lightest, so I don't have to put much pressure down you know, through my thumb and which is already like mostly crippled some days. Um, I think it's nice to have that option where you don't have to click as hard uh, to, to, if you have an RSI issue in your finger or thumb or something. So I like that customization. Again, I'm sure that we'll all get used to this vibration situation and, um, and go from there. So, yeah. See, we have waterproofing and dustproofing. Well, Super exciting. Don't call it waterproofing. Other, otherwise, people would be upset. I know because I went through this. Is it like mispronouncing Australian beach names? Kind of. It's water resistant. 
water resistant. So the watch is waterproof and the iPhone is water resistant. Am I getting that right? So splash means swim means waterproof. Splash means water resistant. I think that's right. So it's water resistant and dust resistant. So which means you can, you know, you can use it in the rain, you can drop it in the toilet. I mean, not intentionally. Why would you want to do that intentionally? Uh, <laughs> drop, drop it in the pool <laughs> and it's not going to die. So say goodbye to the, you know, to the rice bowl and, you know. Oh, I'll, gosh. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's pretty great. You know, they started this work with the, with the iPhone success. What's the name? Gasket? It's the name of Gasket, the, yeah. yeah. Uh, and this year, they're going all in. You know, also by getting rid of the headphone jack, it allows Apple to kind of compartmentalize the components more and better. And so there you go. You can use it in the rain. Now you can be, you know, have a romantic scene, you in the rain with your iPhone, and it's not going to die. Sounds great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think, it's, I think it's high time. And, um, you know, I... Uh, I definitely have gotten water on my 6S Plus, and it's been okay. Like you said, to a degree, it has some water resistance, I think, if you're if you're lucky. But it'll be nice to sort of not worry about um, about it quite so much. We have the camera, which is, mm. I think, probably the biggest addition. Yeah. So uh, we'll get through some tech stuff real quick. Uh, the Both the 7 and the 7 Plus have optical image stabilization that was just available on the Plus in the past. The back camera is 12 megapixel at f1.8, which is really wide aperture. That's that's a huge change, um, a big improvement. And uh, it sits at uh, equivalent of 28 millimeters. It shoots wide color gamut. So this, yeah. um, what is what is the name of the spec? Uh, it's a P3 color space. Uh, yes. It's used in the, in the cinema industry. It was available on the... Uh, 5K iMac and the mm-hmm. 9.7 iPad Pro. Now it's on the iPhone as well. Yeah, yeah. So you can shoot in that color now. So you have that that color chain all the way through. Um, live photos are getting some video stabilization and some other features. You can shoot uh, and capture raw images via the API, not in the camera app, yep. but third party developers will be able to capture raw images, which is excellent. Yep. Um, you're going to spend that 128 gigs on raw pictures if you're not careful. <laughs> The uh, front for the FaceTime camera, seven megapixels. Um, they talk about the image signal processor. It does lots of cool machine learning to do yeah. things. So, and Apple um, likes to say machine learning and machine learning every single time because I mean, even before uh, back in the iPhone four, iPhone four S, iPhone five days, the iPhone camera was able to focus on a person uh, when taking a picture. Right, the yellow square. Uh, it was like recognizing the subject. But Apple didn't say machine learning before. It's a feature that we always had. And now they're saying, and thanks to machine learning, we can now focus on a, on a person's yeah. face. I mean, that's always been there. But sure, now uh, now it's machine learning. And it's possible that now the same feature has been augmented with machine learning. But you can feel that it's a, it's a marketing term that they really like to use. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. in our show notes in all capital letters, so you know it's important. <laughs> the... Um, the 7 Plus, hashtag Mike was right, gets a second 56mm telephoto lens. And the the relationship between these two cameras is pretty interesting. So you can zoom in the camera app and it will move, or you can move it between the wide angle and the telephoto lens. The telephoto lens is f2.8, so it's not as wide of an aperture as the, the other lens. Um, you can do optical zoom, 
which is, of course, like the whole point before with software zoom that leaves a lot of artifacting and kind of blocky color and stuff. And this should be much better at that. So 2x optical zoom and anything from 2 to 10x is still software zoom. But because it's already on the telephoto lens, they're saying it will be it will be clearer. So let me understand optical zoom. Yes. Means it's physically zooming into the picture. Right. Yeah, with okay. the with the lens itself. And so how they're so on a regular camera, um, so like on my seventy D if I have a zoom lens on it and I turn the ring on the lens, the lens actually moves. Okay. And the distance between the uh, this is super high level. The difference the distance between the glass and the sensor mm-hmm. changes and that changes the zoom. That's optical zoom. It's okay. actually the physical world is the light is being changed. Okay. Um, how Apple's doing it is to uh, they can't move these lenses, right? Because they're all fixed. It's in your pocket. It's tiny. Oh, so they don't move inside. Okay. So it's they're swapping between the two. So you zoom up to a certain point, and then it kicks over to the, the telephoto lens. Ah, okay. And then past that, you're still doing you're still doing software zoom, which is you know what we've always had, right? That looks kind of janky and not very good. Yes. Um, because it's it's sort of a hack, right? Like the two camera system really is a hack on that idea that I can't move this lens in and out like I can on a DSLR or quote real camera, but I can have two lenses sort of at preset lengths and move in between them. So it's clever. I think that their demo was pretty convincing that it will work well. Their sample shots on the website look great. Um, if I wasn't already in the plus club, this would push me over the edge. I'm really excited about the camera setup. Um, there are a lot of times where, uh, I would like more zoom. You know, we've all seen, um, uh, like family photos or like I, you know, I do like a picture of like my kid playing soccer and she's just like a tiny little dot, right? Because she's, she's a hundred <laughs> yards from me and the iPhone just can't do it. And um, this will bring that in closer. And I think that that's going to be a really nice thing. But that's not all that it can do, the dual it, lens it, setup. It has a secret project, capital okay. letters. So the, in an upcoming update, which is which super we'll weird, to, <laughs> we're going to come back to that. Um, they're using both cameras at the same time, and they're using machine learning to create a, a depth map. So if, if I took a picture of Federico standing in front of a waterfall, it uses both lenses to create a, a depth map so it understands where Federico is in relation to the background behind him. And the image signal processor and the machine learning and the iCloud robot or whatever else is in that little chip to make it work, it will blur the background um, to make you pop out more. And this is an effect that is pretty easy to do, honestly, on a like a DSLR. Like, I've got a fixed 50-millimeter lens that is sort of my default lens, and it, it does a really good job of this, of separating the foreground from the background. So Federico is nice and mm. crispy in focus, and their waterfalls is like gorgeous color blur behind him. The effect is called bokeh. Okay. And what they're doing is, again, it's a hack, right? Because they can't... They don't have that quality of lens because of the size, but by using both lenses to create this this mashed up image, and then best I can tell, artificially blurring the background and software, it is creating this effect. So it only works on the seven plus. It only works because it has this two camera system and because this new image signal processor, this new ISP. Um, but what's really crazy to me is that it does it in real time. So you know, Federico, if you yeah. shifted a little bit in my frame. It all stays like I can see that, and the background stays blurry behind you, and like that to me is the impressive part that they are doing. They're rendering it in real time, 
and you can see what it's going to do. That just seems incredibly expensive from a computational standpoint to me. And yeah. I think it's I think it's cool. Now it's not coming. It won't be here on day one. WTF, yeah. mate. Um, Phil Schiller called it an extra, what do you say, like extra credit project. Um, I agree with what Jason said on Upgrade that they just missed the boat and didn't get it done and it's coming later. I think they wanted to pre-announce it to show off what they can do with the camera. Yeah, for And sure. to get people excited where if you're on the fence, because honestly, the, the Zoom may not be enough for most people, right? That right. I want it, but not everyone does. But if this portrait thing gets you excited, like it does me, then maybe that's enough to push you to buy the Plus Now knowing that the update is coming. So I see why they announced it early, but it's super weird that a, a huge software feature that, that takes advantage of the flagship hardware and their flagship device isn't there at launch. No, when you think about it, um, the fact that it's doing this in real time, it's sort of like an application of augmented reality in the camera app because mm. you're, you're modifying what the camera is seeing in real time. And it's easy to, to see how with the dual camera system, Apple could, you know, in the future, do all kinds of different applications for AR in, in the camera. And, you know, right now the portrait mode, of course, it's, it's, it's a simple picture taking mode feature of the camera app. But from a, you know, from a conceptual standpoint, it's also AR because it's modifying in real time what the camera is seeing even more than just a color filter, right? Like it used to mm-hmm. be before. Uh, it's, you know, it's acting with these two different cameras. It's uh, mapping out the depth of field. It's doing machine learning. It's doing, you know, everything in real time, rendering on screen. It's pretty impressive. And it's a testament to, to you know, to Apple's work with the, the, the A10 Fusion ch- uh, CPU in the, in the iPhone 7. It's quite impressive. I think it's great. And I think that, my, my guess is there are going to be a lot of people who were not on the Plus that are going to move up to the bigger size for the camera. I mean, every every time that that camera gets bumped, I mean, it's so many people buy the phone for that reason. And, and Schiller is something really interesting. And Schiller is a photographer. Like, he is into cameras. He even made, like, a little joke that really felt off the cuff to me that he said, I just love cameras. I really love them. Like, that sounded like Phil Schiller just making a comment <laughs> during the keynote. He said, you know, like, you're not going to replace your DSLR. Like, they're setting that expectation. Like, this is not going to look as good as something shot on my expensive fixed lens on my camera. But it's going to look good. And he said, you know, most people, the only camera they have is in their phone. And most of the time, it's the best camera they've owned to date. So if you own the iPhone 5S, that's the best camera you've ever owned. If you own the iPhone 7, it's the best camera you've ever owned for most people. And that's really compelling and a really powerful thing, I think, that... Apple is treating the iPhone in a lot of ways as a bunch of different products. And the, you know, the first several phones, the camera was just sort of there, sort of thrown in, I think. And they've realized over time that it's a really important feature to a lot of people. I mean, I can't even imagine how many people, the only photos of their kids or the majority of the photos of their kids are taken on an iPhone. You know, I've got two nice cameras, actually. And the bulk of the photos I take are on my iPhone because it's the one that's always with me. And so to make that tool and that camera better is a really no-brainer reason for me to update every year. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we're going to blast through the display, 25% brighter, that white color gamut. Um, No no True true Tone. tone. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I mean, uh, I was expecting True Tone to come this year. Uh, Me too. Maybe, you know, 
Apple couldn't manage to get it, the the tech uh, ready in a in a small display in a small footprint. I don't know. Uh, it would have been nice to have it. I'll survive without it, even because you know when I use my my devices at night, it's usually the iPad because I'm in bed and I'm reading, you know, and just mm-hmm. relaxing or watching a TV show, whatever. Uh, it would have been nice, but you know, no big deal. Maybe next year. Maybe next year. Um, audio. So the, so the audio. Audio. Let me ask you, are you one of those people who are freaking out about the headphone jack? I don't love the decision. Okay. And I don't fully buy their reasoning for it. Okay, but let's, so, so, let's so, talk but, about but it. what I did, so the last month, I've, I've really been thinking about this. And I've made little notes to myself, just mm. mentally, of when I actually use the headphone jack. It's not very often. Now, I'm fortunate that my car has a Bluetooth system, so it just connects and plays over Bluetooth. Um, I do own a pair of Bluetooth earbuds that I work out in some. Um, and, uh, so, you know, I'm not thrilled that it doesn't impact me as much. Some people it's really going to impact more, but, um, I don't love it, but I'm not, not buying a phone because of it. Mm-hmm. What okay. about you? Um, it's really no big deal for me. I mean, I do, I'm all in favor of moving on. Uh, and I think the headphone jack, I I basically only use it for plugging in my earpods, and I'm all you know. I tried wireless headphones, and the moment that I tried them, I was like, "This is my future. I don't want to have wires anymore because wires break. They get in the way. They're you know they're clumsy, and I hate wires, and I and I want to get rid of them as much as possible. So. I mean, I do get the argument that it's an open standard, that, you know, Apple is uh, pushing on to proprietary formats and all of that. But as an Apple user, as an iPhone user, and as awful as that may sound to people who fight for open standards like USB and stuff, I don't care. Because practically, I want to have wireless headphones all day, in for, you know, all time in the future. I don't want to have wires anymore. I'm getting a new car and it's going to have Bluetooth. So, you know, no big deal. I don't need the aux cable there anymore. And honestly, I, you know, it's fine. Thank you, Apple, for doing this because you can use the space for something else. You can give us more battery. You can make it water resistant. Um, It's going to be maybe, you know, for for some people, it's going to be an inconvenience. But there's a free adapter in the box, which I honestly didn't see coming. So, <laughs> you know, we're all moving on. When when Apple replaced the 30-pin dock connector, it was like the end of the world. You could, I, I was around for that. I, I had Mac stories already. And I remember people freaking out. It's going to be the end of the iPhone. Apple is making a huge mistake. And looking back, we're all fine. Apple has kept mm-hmm. selling more iPhones. It was a short-term inconvenience. Everyone moved on and we're better because of that. And I think, yeah. you know, right now Apple is catching a lot of a lot of criticism and some of that is only natural because when you when you drop something, happened before with the CD-ROM, with the DVD, happened with the serial bus interface, you know, uh, it always happens. And the moment that you ditch something for, you know, because it's old, because it's time to move on, you get the people who are established in that standard and they're not okay with that. And, you know, people move on, people don't need, I honestly think that people don't want wires either. 
Uh, I mean, who, who wants wires? Who, who loves wires? Nobody loves wires. Even if you think about it, you don't love the wire. You love the fact that it's an established standard that you're familiar with. But at a very conceptual level, you, you don't like the wire itself as a concept, as an idea. You only like the fact that it's existing, that it already existed, then you don't need to change. So you gotta have, Apple says courage. I wanna say, you gotta have the vision to say, we believe this is the future. Uh, it's going to be an inconvenience. We're going to give you an adapter. Uh, but in the future, we're going to be wireless. We, we don't, we're not going to have wires around. And this is what we want to do. And if you don't like it, just, I guess, buy an Android phone or whatever. <laughs> yeah. People in the chat room are saying they're going to do that. So I think a couple things worth mentioning. The, what is different about this than the dot connector is that the 8th inch, you know, 3.5 millimeter jack is as close as as a universal standard as it gets. It is in cars, it is in hotel rooms, it is in AV setups, it is everywhere. And to Apple's credit, they they are putting an adapter in the box. To Apple's bigger credit, the thing's only nine dollars. <laughs> I'm gonna end up buying four of them, um, just keeping them everywhere. But the you're right. With time, this will fade. And uh, but I think it's gonna take a lot longer than the dot connector did. Because this this jack and this plug is just so ubiquitous, the you know Apple's statement of "Hey, this thing's a hundred years old. Um, we need more space." They didn't really say it helped with waterproofing, but I think they sort of hinted at it. Or maybe we're just reading that. Um, There's this article on BuzzFeed. We'll be in the show notes. You should check out uh, talking with uh, Jaws and other other Apple team members about it. This thing they saw it as a reasonable trade-off. And the question is, will users see it as a reasonable trade-off? And my guess is that people who listen to this show are going to be at the extreme ends of it, where some people are going to be like you, who like really don't care. They're using Bluetooth anyways. Um, and they're going to be people who also listen to the show who are on the far other end, who, you know, like me, have really nice headphones and want to continue to use them and are uh, miffed that you can't charge and listen at the same time, which is... Um, a real bummer. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know how many people I noticed in my in my own like family who, you know, have a car tape adapter or something, and so they plug in lightning and they plug in uh 3.5 millimeter when they get in their car. There are gonna be people who are caught by that. I'm sure someone will make an adapter that splits it out. But there's gonna be this 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 time of of um of pain and discomfort. Did Apple have to do it with this phone? Could they have made other decisions? Could they have made other trade-offs? Of course they could have. But they thought that it was time. And, you know, there's this story going around that this next iPhone is going to be just amazing and edge-to-edge glass and be the Iron Man phone, like Tony Stark magic phone. Whether or not that's true, who knows? But the idea that they would sacrifice the headphone jack and sacrifice the iPhone 7 to make that iPhone you know, this, this, the headphone jack gate be done. I, I don't know if Apple really plays that game, but all in all, it's a huge move. And I think it's, it's one that there are going to be ramifications for the um, foreseeable future. But I think they're doing the right thing by having lightning headphones. They said, um, like we have talked about in the past, the, the number one set of headphones in the world are the one that come in the iPhone box. People use them. People use the headphones that come with their phone. Um, even in speaking again, like I just use my wife as a barometer because she's the only other person I see during the day. You know, we we're talking about last night, and she uses the earbuds a lot for phone calls. And 
she was like, oh, well, if they come in the box, like, it's fine. Like, you know, she uses it a lot, but when she realized she could still plug it in and didn't have to deal with Bluetooth, then she was fine. And I think that's really going to be okay for like a lot of the people who aren't at the extremes. It's sort of like people who don't have a, a, a strong feeling either way. It's in the box. You have an adapter you would leave plugged into your car and it's maybe a little annoying, but it's fine. So again, I think it's something that there's a lot of fervor around right now that that will die out um, over time. And of course, in two years, who cares? Because it's gone and and Apple is big enough and powerful enough that it can affect this sort of change. Um, You know, uh, the the new Motorola Droid Z, I think is the the name of it. they dropped the headphone jack, I guess, in anticipation that Apple would do it. If Moto was the only company doing this, no one would care because they don't sell many phones relative to Apple, and it's fine. Um, Apple doing it because they're such a dominant player means the rest of the smartphone industry will probably follow them at some point, which will make the adjustment period kind of wrap up faster, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally see... Uh you know, uh, competitors making fun of that initially. Uh, you know, we have a headphone jack like as a differentiator, but as, you know, uh, sales of wireless headphones are already picking up. People are moving on, like I said, and uh, I honestly believe um, some things are, you know, better off left in the past, and the headphone jack seems like one of them. So, you know, I'm not saying that people who are going to have inconveniences right now are stupid. Because I totally get it. Like, if you're an audio professional, if you need the headphone jack, if you need the cable for something, um, it's going to be an inconvenience, for sure. I just say that it's it, it can be, at the same time, you can say that it's going to be an inconvenience, but also recognize that it's right to move on. Like, those things can be true at the same time. You can say, it's an inconvenience for me, but also in the bigger picture, it's the right thing to do because we need to move on. And because think about it, we, are, we, we love technology so much, you know, especially in this Apple community. We, we say that we are, you know, uh, technologists. We are in favor of the future. But every I mean, time... you're an analyst. Also, also that I'm a hashtag analyst, which is the next level. <laughs> I got a promotion. Uh, but when you think about it, we always complain about things going away. So do we really like the future or not? That's the thing we got to decide. But, you know, saying that it's an inconvenience and saying that, you know, it's old and it's taking up space and we want more battery, we want things to be thinner, we want things to be lighter, uh, there's a way to do it. And so, you know, I think we'll be fine. I I want to be, as usual, uh, the optimistic person here. We'll be fine. We'll we'll get the adapters. We'll move on. We'll look back this day and be like, "Hey, remember we were freaking out about the iPhone jack and good times." Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the future a little bit. One hundred and fifty nine dollar accessory. Uh, the AirPods will ship later this fall. They are more or less wireless uh, AirPods. They have little stems on them where the batteries sit. They're using Bluetooth, but they they come equipped with what Apple is calling the W one processor, which Best I can tell from reading Apple's material is sort of like a Bluetooth Plus. It is still Bluetooth. These are backwards compatible with other Bluetooth devices, but the W1 allows the AirPods to be smart. So you can take them in and out of your ears and they stop and pause your music. They can send the audio back to your iPhone when you're done with them. They manage uh, accelerometers and stuff. So if you double tap it, you, you can activate Siri. They seem very smart, which is nice. You know, I've got a pair of the Power Beats, 
and they are fine, but it's just an on-off button, and you smash it to go into pairing, and it can be very confusing what sort of state they're in, because it just has a little button and a single LED, and there's no real feedback of what it's doing, and this seems to change some of that. Again, bunch of sensors inside, bunch of technology. They pair to your iPhone, they can auto-switch to your watch, but they are passing the pairing information over iCloud. So I guess how this would work is if I'm at my Mac, I could be listening to music from iTunes on my Mac with these things, and then I get a phone call, and can I switch them quickly to my phone to take the call? Like Some of those questions, I think, are a little unclear at this point, but it seems that these are really designed to work across all of your all of your technology, all your Apple gear. Yeah. Five, five hours of battery life on a single charge, 24 hours in the case, so the case is, is a charger itself. Five hours isn't great, but I don't, you know, my, my guess is that you listen to them and then you put them in the case of lunch, they quick charge like the Apple Pencil, and then you can pick them up after lunch and work until five. I think it makes sense... Um... When you take a look at iOS 10's uh, control center and, you know, you look at the iPhone 7, you look at the AirPods, I think the redesign of control center, this is one of the points that I'm making the review, so this is officially a spoiler, um, it makes total sense when you consider the ability to switch between uh, wireless audio sources to be, you know, to, to more easily move from speaker to, you know, uh, Bluetooth headphones and AirPods. If, uh, even Apple shows this in the, in the commercial for the iPhone 7, the control center with the new audio switching interface built in. And, you know, uh, there's going to be a lot of people complaining about control center moving from a unified dashboard of controls and moving to you know pagination effectively, but when you think about the the iPhone's new audio features, so uh, you know more stuff for Apple Music and you know the AirPods and a move to wireless audio, having that bigger audio page makes more sense. And at that point, if you already have a second audio page, why not make a third one? And I think. From that perspective, it explains also not just uh, removing the the headphone jack, but also the software approach to redesign Control Center to make it more flexible, to make it, you know, move away from the single page design, but also to give more function to each page. Yeah, I think that's fine. And I think that, um, I think the smarts of all this stuff working together is something that only Apple can do because they do hardware, they do software, they do all the stuff in between. Uh, I think it's a really nice example of how well integrated something from a single vendor can be. So, you know, I don't know if it's something that I'm going to use. I I don't find the earpods particularly comfortable, and they sort of work their way out of my ears over time. And it happens with one of these things on your and you're on a run; it's just like gone forever. But uh, I'm willing to give them a shot when they come out. I mean, part of it is that it's my job to talk about these things, so I, I will order a pair when they come available. But I'm really curious to see how people react to this. You know, 160 bucks is, it's not cheap by any stretch of the imagination, but it is in line with some other wireless earbuds that are on the market. And because Apple is using, you know, using this W1 and some Beats stuff, if you don't particularly care about this form factor, some of their other Beats products will pick up some of the same intelligence, which I think is great. And Apple is finally leveraging Beats and Apple together. Um on the hardware side to, to, to have some, some options. So I think that's good. Um, we got, we'll wrap this up real quick with the performance 
A10 Fusion chip is a quad-core chip, so it's a set of two high-performance cores and a set of two high-efficiency cores. And basically, Apple picks what processes need to be on each core at any given time. So if the phone is you know, asleep and just checking email and getting notifications in the background, it can use the, the lower-power cores because it doesn't need to be fast at the time. You pick it up and you're playing a game, obviously you're going you're gonna to have all that on the high-performance cores. And I think all this is leading to better battery life. These phones are getting better battery life than their than their predecessors. It's what two hours if you're on the the smaller phone, and an hour if you're on the big one. That's great. I mean, who who doesn't want better battery life? So many people are yeah. always so afraid Apple's going to take it away or stay the same. And this is a really clever way of doing it, right? Instead of, and I think the batteries are bigger, but instead of just coming at it from a physical like put more battery in it, having really smart technology to help balance when you need it to be fast and when you don't like that's something that is um really clever and i think the a10 fusion chip as goofy as the name is i think is a real step in the right direction on mobile devices yep totally agree yeah it's pretty cool cool. yep so pre-orders start if you're in the u.s and the launch countries at uh basically at midnight tonight is it are you in the are you a launch country oh yeah man sweet yeah congratulations yeah Yeah, thank you (laughs) on behalf of my country thank you steven oh you know i I speak on behalf of the united states you speak on behalf (laughs) of italy we're we're just two uh state heads having a conversation sure (laughs) so so we already talked about it you are leaning towards jet black maybe 128 gig yeah man i'm gonna go 128 jet black plus of course Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I'm going to go the matte black 128 um uh the plus. I am thinking about doing the Apple upgrade program. Part of it depends if I can do that online. Apple's documents are very confusing as to whether you have to go into the store, you can do it online. No, I think I think our Alex did it online of at Mac sorry, you see we were chatting in the Slack yesterday. I saw a screenshot he was, he was doing it online. So I'm going to try to do that. I'm going to wake yeah. up at 2 o'clock yeah. uh, tomorrow morning before I get on a flight at 8 a.m. It's going to be a really nice. great day very, for me tomorrow. Very nice. Very nice. Impressive. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I'm excited to, to, to purchase a phone this, this tonight. And, and they ship on the 16th, so it's just a, a week out. You know, la- Was it last year? There was a couple weeks. Like Two it was weeks. a longer delay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, of course, will be getting your iOS 10 review ready. So oh, it yeah. will, I guess... We, uh, by the time our next episode, you will have you will be publishing or being in that process. So. Yeah. So next uh, next week is going to be pretty uh, big at Mac Stories. Um, yeah, buddy. We have um, not just my review. So we have a, a huge surprise for Monday. Um, something I've also, in addition to the review, so it's something else we've been working on for quite a while. That we got another surprise organized primarily from Graham and John. And there's my review. There's the bonus content uh, for club members for the review. It's a whole week of special stuff we've been working on since June, basically. And it's, um, I mean, the process of finalizing the review, doing the screenshots, the images. Uh, Once again, there's also a surprise in the review for the review, uh, which I still haven't shown either to, to, you know, to Steven or Mike, nobody else, just me and... Uh, you know, Silvia and uh, the Alessandro, the developer of Maxoris. Uh, so it's pretty big, and um, yeah, man, uh, I'm uh, I'm exhausted, but also 
nearing the finish line. It's final push. We're gonna do this. It's gonna be it's gonna be great. I'm really excited to see it. So that will be uh, next week. Yeah, we will follow that with um, iPhone stuff after the 16th. Sierra comes out on the 20th for the four of us who care about the Mac still. So a very busy month here in the the Apple ecosystem connected uh, world headquarters. Just um, really busy. Yeah. If you want to find show notes for this week, you can do that in your podcast app of choice, or you can go to our website, relay.fm slash connected slash 107. The links will be there. There's a sidebar on that page where you can email feedback to us. Uh, We read all of that email. We will resume follow-up next week. You can also send follow-up on Twitter. The show is at underscore connected FM. It's a globe uh, in the rainbow colors. Really hard to miss. You can find us on Twitter as well, of course. Uh, Mike is at I-M-Y-K-E. Federico is at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. And of course, the uh, glorious MacStories.net, which if you haven't discovered, has a dark mode. Just hit that button. Oh, yeah, it does. And the website looks beautiful at night. Um, You can find me on Twitter at ISMH and I write 512pixels.net. Thank you so much uh, for listening to Connected this week. Thanks for staying with us. I know it's a long one, but a super busy week. And uh, until next time, Federico, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Adios.